0: There was uh <coughs> obviously contending parties and, and different organizations, and he wasn't sure to which one of those that Campbell himself belonged. And so he uh he read uh, uh each of the uh editions with great interest. <coughs> and uh what he came to realize pretty quickly with the use of the materials before him, was that what Alexander Campbell believed and to which organization he belonged Excuse me. didn't look like anything that was going on at the time. There was no uh, uh, church that claimed the things that Alexander claimed. Now, among the many teachings that Campbell taught that impressed... Uh, John Smith, one of the the statements that he made in uh, uh, the Christian Baptist is is one that appealed to him almost more than anything else. (coughs) In volume 1 of the Christian Baptist, on page 90, again, I've mentioned this before, Preston can go to volume 1, page 90. And so he can can read this. Uh, (coughs) Campbell had written, "...we have no system of our own, nor of others." to substitute in lieu the reigning systems. We only aim at substituting the New Testament in lieu of every creed in existence, whether Mahatmatan, pagan, Jewish, or Presbyterian. We wish to call Christians to consider that Jesus Christ has made them kings and priests to God. We neither advocate Calvinism, Arminianism, Arianism, Socianism, Trinitarianism, Unitarianism, deism, or sectarianism, but New Testamentism. <laughs> yeah, he He said, we wish, we cordially wish to take the New Testament out of the abuses of the clergy and put it into the hands of the people. <clears throat> and we learn a lot from that statement. That is an awfully lot of isms, isn't it? And that's just a fraction of them, you know. Ism, of course, that means uh, a system, right? Uh, One of the things that uh, Robert Taylor, Jr. has stated on uh, occasion, he used it uh, to refer to premillennialism. He explained it this way. He said, pre means before, millennial means 1,000, and ism means it ain't so. And I thought that was pretty pretty accurate. And so... uh For the most part, I think we can probably uh, use that as a guideline of these uh, these isms that uh, have overtaken the world. So, Smith so wholeheartedly agreed with that statement that he read that he determined that at the first opportunity, he was going to go meet Alexander Campbell. And it wasn't long before that opportunity presented itself because Alexander Campbell was coming into the Kentucky area. Particularly, he was going to be going to Flemingsburg and Mount Sterling. And so, as an act of courtesy... Now, remember, and this will come up a little later on, Raccoon John Smith's coming around to some problems, but he still considers himself a Baptist. And he still extends fellowship to those who oppose what he's teaching. But, as a matter of courtesy... Understanding that Campbell was coming to the area, uh, he proposed that a delegation of Baptist preachers meet him when he got there and accompany him, uh, uh, as he toured the area and spoke. Now, now remember, at this point, uh, Alexander Campbell had had a couple of debates already, public debates, with two Baptist preachers. One was uh, Walker and the other was McCalla. And so his reputation among the Baptists was one of disfavor. They didn't particularly care for him, even though, you know, for a period of time he considered himself a Baptist, or at least, uh, I don't know that he considered himself personally a Baptist, at least he associated with uh, some of the Baptist associations and, be, and was a part of that organization. So what happened was the Baptist preacher said, no, I don't think we want to do that. And so they declined and, uh, so Smith went on his own. John Smith, uh, uh went alone and, uh, uh arriving in uh, Flemingsburg ahead of Alexander Campbell Smith spoke with a man by the name of William Vaughn. William Vaughn was a Baptist preacher in that area. And so he asked, uh, Vaughn some questions. He, <clears throat> excuse me. He wanted to get a little information about exactly who Alexander Campbell was. What did he teach? What, you know, uh, what, uh, flavor of organization did he belong? And, uh, Smith was very, uh, uh, uh interested in that. Now, he asked Vaughn, and Vaughn had heard Campbell preach, and he wanted to know, uh, was he a Calvinist? Okay. He asked, "Was in Armenian, Armenian?" Now, in Armenian, I don't know if we mentioned that already or not, but it it comes from and it is a doctrine made popular by uh, Jacobus or Jacobus Arminius. He lived from 1560 to 1609. Now, here's the thing about Arminianism: it rejects the Calvinistic idea of predestination. Okay, that's a positive. It rejects that. Uh, and it heavily influenced Methodism. Okay? Of course, it has got a ton of things wrong with it. But he wanted to know, is he, is he an Arminian? Well, he wanted to know if he was an Arian. Okay? Now, theologically, an Arian is a non-Trinitarian Christological doctrine. Meaning, they don't believe in the three-person of the Godhood and uh, uh it asserts that Jesus Christ the son of god was begotten in a period of time okay which is true the christ entered into history in a period of time but what they fail to recognize is his full deity now they claim he's god but he's a little less god than the father so that's a that's a problem okay uh so we we'll won't know if he was uh, an arian he wanted to know if, uh, he was a Trinitarian. Well, Trinitarianism is kind of a difficult theology to, uh, to really get a handle on. Okay? At first reading, and when, and I can remember years ago when I began to study Trinitarianism, at first reading I say, man, I'm a Trinitarianist. Because I believe in three distinct persons. Who are God? One God, there's one God, but there's three distinct persons, okay? Well, that's not exactly what Trinitarianism is. They say that. They do not believe in three distinct personalities. They believe in a distinct Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But what they believe the one Godhood is, is just like one substance, okay? It's one substance made up of those three. They're not distinct completely. They don't believe in three gods, but they don't believe in the distinctness of the Father, the Word who became the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, They do believe that they are three persons. They do believe they are co-equal, having a single divine nature. Uh, But they don't believe they're separate individuals. Okay, that's the, the idea of Trinitarianism. They are, uh, again, simply the same substance. And that substance they claim is unity. They don't worship Jesus, okay? They worship the Father through Jesus. Now, are we told to worship the Father through Jesus? We're told to pray to the Father through Jesus. But we worship Jesus. We worship Him, right? He is God. So they claim that they, you worship the Father, but you worship Him through Jesus. You use Him as an example of living in this world. And all the while, you are being filled with the Holy Spirit, literally. Well, I've got a whole lot of problems with Trinitarianism. And once I began to delve into it and see what they really believe, I decided pretty quickly I'm not a Trinitarian. So any at any rate, he wanted to know if uh, if that's what he was. Well, Vaughn uh, told Smith, he said, Campbell doesn't have anything to do with any of that. He's not any of those things. And so he said, uh, Smith asked him if Campbell knew anything about the Christian experience. Vaughn said he knew everything about the Christian experience. And so uh, after uh, having that little conversation, Vaughn wanted to introduce the two but it had come to the time where it was uh, uh, the time for Campbell to do his uh, preaching at this particular location. They went to the home, and that's where it was was being held in someone's home, and so they sat down to listen to him preach. Campbell said at first he just wanted to sit and look at him for about an hour without hearing from anyone else. Uh, he was kind of impressed with, with his appearance. Uh, he was impressed with his confidence in his speak. He wasn't arrogant but he was confident in what he was what he was preaching. And so he began to preach. And uh, the topic of his preaching was uh, Galatians chapter 5, or Galatians chapter 4, rather. Now, what he did is he outlined the whole letter, and then he particularly zeroed in on the allegory of Sarah and Hagar. And he preached. Well, he finished preaching. Uh... John Smith turned to, uh quote, Brother Vaughn, and he said, You know, it's not a hard thing for a man to to travel 20 miles on a horseback like I've done to listen to a man preach. He said, Brother, check your watch. Surely it's been longer than that. And it had, in fact, been two and a half hours. He said, Well, I don't know. He said, I was wide awake the whole time. Two hours is gone, and I don't know where it went. And uh so... It was the fact that uh, Campbell was articulate. He preached in simple terms so everyone could understand it. And he used the Bible to back up what he was saying. Okay. Now, after having done that, uh, Vaughn asked him what he thought. He said, uh, uh you know, what, what have you determined what category you need to place Alexander Campbell in? Because earlier Smith had told Vaughn, he said, uh, I can listen to someone preach after he had asked him about what is he. He said, he's not in those. He said, well, I can determine it. He said, I can I can listen to someone teach a doctrine and I can root it out to where it will end up being and I can tell you if he's an Arian or if he's a Trinitarian or, or whatever the case may be. And that's something we need to pay attention to in the present time, doesn't it? We may listen to someone preach and they may not, uh, say something that necessarily, uh, is a red flag to us, but if we think about it and look at it, it has a place where it has to end up, right? Uh, <clears throat> I was talking with a couple of brethren the other day and, for instance, uh, Brother Mac Dever, and I don't know him personally, I've just read his material. He believes, uh, uh, he began believing in a direct indwelling, uh, a literal indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That in and of itself, you know, if that's what you believe and you don't have the Holy Spirit doing something for you, you know, I guess that's your business. Brother Gus Nichols from Alabama believed that, and I think that he kind of got this whole mess started by, by introducing that. But what, what, where does that lead us? If you have a direct indwelling, the Holy Spirit is literally inside of you. Where does that lead us? We only read about one person uh, that I that I can think of in the whole of the New Testament that had the 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 spirit bodily, and that was stated about Christ. Well, it's got to go somewhere because very very seldom does uh, something like this stay in its original state. Well, if we're going to consider Brother MacDiver, and I think he's our brother. Uh, he now believes in baptism of the Holy Spirit, because he's got to get into you some way, right? He's got to get into you some way. And, uh, so he is, uh, and he made the statement that the Baptists had it right all along. And so, uh, there's a big problem there. And so we need to be able to look at something someone teaches, much like Raccoon John Smith did, and say, hey, I can figure out where this is going. So anyway, he said, uh, well, Is he a Calvinist or an Armenian? Vaughn asked uh, Smith that, and he said, No, I know nothing about the man. But be he saint or devil, he's thrown more light on that epistle and on the whole Scripture than I have received in all the sermons that I have ever heard before. So, why was it he couldn't ascertain? he wasn't any of those things, was he? He was simply preaching the gospel. And at that time, John Smith still didn't really have a handle on it <clears throat> like he needed to. And so that's why he said, I can't tell you. I don't know if he's a devil or a saint, but he has taught me more in this two and a half hours, it seemed like 30 minutes, than I've heard in my whole life listening to sermons. And that is, it, that is the result that we want when we teach and when we preach, isn't it? I think far too many people... Get caught up in, uh, sounding smarter than what they probably are and wanting to impress folks with their vocabulary than in teaching the simple primitive gospel. I was in school with a, with a fella and every time he preached, he started, uh, uh, going to the original language of the Koine Greek, pronouncing all the words, spending 10 minutes on uh if it was neuter or what gender it was it was past or present participle it was this or that what does that matter really what does that matter i don't speak greek okay rather i took a whole year of that stuff i took a whole year i don't speak greek i can use a concordant or a uh not a concordance a uh what is it lexicon and I don't even use a book lexicon any longer. I've got a, a, a computer program I use that tells me what the word means. Is it important to be able to go back to the original? Sure it is, because it's a dead letter. But but if you're preaching to people like me, and I think there's probably a whole lot of folks out there like me, that doesn't mean anything. That, I, that doesn't uh, help me hardly any, because I speak English. Okay, I speak English. We have it in English. And I think by God's providence we have some accurate versions out there, and so what we need to concentrate on is speaking uh, in terms that everyone can understand. That same brother Gus Nichols, I think it was Gus Nichols, <coughs> or uh, uh, Franklin Camp, he said, you know, uh, you you feed uh, you feed the cow on the ground that way the mama can reach it and the baby can, right. You feed it up high, mama can reach it, but the baby can't get anything. And so uh, we want to speak in terms that are easily understood, you know. I think if I can understand it, probably anyone's going to be able to understand it, and that's how we need to, to go about that. Uh, any comments, questions Brother Joe? Absolutely. He taught using illustrations of, uh, of what the the least educated among them could understand, right? I'm not. I'm not opposed to education, okay? Yes, exactly. Absolutely, absolutely. And Sister Jane makes the point, and that's one of the best illustrations I think anyone could put forth. And, and that goes along with what we're talking about, right? You, you put it forth in terms everyone could understand. How's God one, but He has three people? Well, when you marry Genesis chapter two, you become one flesh. Do you somehow morph into one physical being? Well, of course not. But you're one in, uh, uh, purpose, one in, uh, plan and action, right? When you have a family, you become one family. Uh, I mean, you have three children. So you've got 5 people in that family and but it's one family. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, the 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 and I think that's how the Holy Spirit indwells us through the scripture, okay? And now here's the thing: what I want to, what 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 interests me, what I'd want to know. You never hear anyone talk about the Father indwelling you literally, or Jesus indwelling you literally, but the Bible says that the Father indwells you, that Jesus indwells you, that the Holy Spirit indwells you. I think what the, what the, what makes it so dangerous and what it leads to is now he's going to probably be doing something for you. Eventually, you know, you're praying, you think of a Bible verse. Uh, Sam talks about why do you know that Bible verse? Because you read the Bible, right? You read the Bible, so you understand. When we look in Ephesians 5.19, Paul said, Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And that's a commandment. You get over to Colossians 3.16, he says, Let the words of Christ dwell in you richly. It's a sister passage. He's saying the exact same thing. So how does the Spirit indwell us? The words of Christ uh, are in us uh, abundantly right so we study and that's how we think of that stuff uh, it's it's not because it's some kind of a miraculous something you know uh, uh, I thought of going and helping someone you know I was headed home I've heard this a thousand times I was headed home and I thought about a particular family and I thought well I'm just going to go by and pick up a gallon of milk and drop it off to them or pick up some groceries and drop it off to them and I've heard Christian gospel preachers in debate use these examples. And he said, I just know that it was the Holy Spirit guiding me to do that. Well, you know, if you know there's a family somewhere that could use a little help with food, why does the Holy Spirit have to tell me directly to do that when Paul already told me to do it? In Galatians chapter 6 right bear help bear the burdens of your brethren so uh you know I had a fellow tell me one time that uh that uh, God talked to him directly and told him to quit lying I said you're lying right now I said why does God have to do that he already told you quit lying stop Paul said stop lying stop stealing right quit being a fornicator be what you need to be and uh so is is God's Power unto salvation, which is the Word. Is it somehow inadequate? And now we have to have a direct operation in God directly speaking to me and telling me to do something? Well, of course we don't. Of course we don't. But, Joe, <coughs> the Spirit led Paul to tell him that. So it already come from the Spirit, didn't it? It already came from the Spirit. Now, here's what we know. We can also read in First Corinthians... Paul said all that stuff's coming to an end when that which is perfect, uh, arrives, right? Which is not Jesus. Jesus' is not a that. He's a, a, a He, the completed New Testament. Well, of course it would. Uh, if he's influencing me directly, I think it would and I mean, listen, the Holy Spirit influences us, brethren. we're not saying he's not we're not saying he doesn't indwell us because he does. I think uh Brother Guy Wood said it best he said it's not a fact of does he indwell us, it's how does he indwell us right uh God influences us in our daily lives every single day through the scripture. that's why we have it to be influenced by right And, uh, if, uh, you know, and here's the thing, if, uh, and I don't think these, uh, people who defend this in debate, who are gospel preachers, I don't think they'd agree with this, but if the Holy Spirit can direct us literally, why can Satan not affect us literally and make us do things that we don't want to do? This doesn't make sense. Good comments. Anything else? All right <clears throat> so uh, when we when we look at the happenings of uh John Smith after having come into contact with Alexander Campbell, which was uh you know probably one of the most influential things that ever happened to him, and obviously it put him on the right track to being able to discover the truth of the primitive gospel. And we look back over this whole idea of what we've been studying about uh, church history, and, and I see a whole lot of providence, or at least what I believe is providence, in the uh, the things that are happening. Not miraculous, but God works in the kingdoms of men in some non-miraculous way today. I don't know exactly how he does that. But uh, <clears throat> over time... Uh, after this uh, uh, meeting and and Smith listening to uh, this sermon, he accompanied Alexander Campbell as he went about the state of Kentucky preaching. He would listen to him. They would spend time in a home together. And he would question him and ask him. And and he was was learning some of the very necessary things he needed to know from Alexander Campbell who had himself come out of Presbyterianism. And so uh, his uh, uh, understanding became very clear upon leaving the company of Alexander Campbell. And he was excited and he was zealous. And so he made a determination. He said, I'm going to uh, devote my life to preaching the gospel of uh, uh, the New Testament. And I'm going to preach what the New Testament says I'm not going to preach creeds and confessions of faith and, and uh, association rules and things of that nature. He said, I'm going to preach the unadulterated uh, gospel of Christ. And brethren, that really cost him in this life. It cost him a lot. Old friends that he once had, had known and had supported him, they forsook him. They left him. Uh, all those uh, Baptist preachers who thought very highly of him at one time began to look upon him with suspicion. That now he's doing something wrong. And, uh, uh, soon, uh, the, the storm of controversy finally hit him. And we alluded to this earlier on. He was brought before the association and he, they declared that at least two or three times, and usually in his own home though, but at least one time publicly, he didn't read from the King James version of the Bible, brethren he read from that campbell translation that took out the word baptize and baptist <laughs> okay uh and 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 translated it properly immersion immerser right john the baptist is john the immerser why was he called john the baptist cuz he baptized people right we could call someone that today i guess uh you know uh We've had, uh, I think when we get over to it, we're going to notice, we, you could have called Raccoon John Smith a, ba- a Baptist because he baptized a whole lot of people. But so they brought him, brought charges up on him and they accused him of doing all these terrible things. And uh, uh, they would not give him an opportunity to speak in defense of himself. They just said, look, we're going to give you a year You go back, you think about what you've done, you get your head right, you come back and change your views and then we'll uh, accept you back into fellowship. It was almost uh, like uh, being placed on probation. But they wouldn't even let the man speak for himself. Now, let's talk a little bit about uh, binding things that shouldn't be bound. My view of Christianity when it comes to something that is a little questionable is one where I say, well, I'm going to take the safe route. Okay, I'm going to make sure. That may be okay, but I'm not sure about it. So I'm going to take the safe route. It's not going to hurt me the other way. A lot of people aren't that way. Okay, I think probably most Christians are. Uh, but let, let's look at something uh, as simple as uh, what they brought charges up on John Smith. Not using the King James Version of the Bible. I, 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 for the most part use the King James Version of the Bible. If I use a modern translation, and, and I do sometimes, uh, I'll use the New King James. But does that mean that, uh, you're gonna to go to hell if you use another translation? I, I've got them all, brethren. I use all of them. Now, here's the question. Do we need to be careful what we use publicly? Of course we do. Of course we do. If we use the NIV publicly, you get over to Romans chapter 10, look, you're saved by faith. Period. Okay? Now, does that mean everything in the NIV version is wrong? Well, it's very contradictory because it probably does Acts 2.38 better than any of them. Okay? But, we need to be careful what we use publicly. Okay? Uh, the, there are a lot of good things about a lot of the modern translations. If I were going to pick a modern translation, uh, I would pick the New King James Version, but does it have issues? Sure it does. You get over to, uh, uh Matthew 19, and, uh, wh- what are the grounds for a divorce and a remarriage? Fornication, right? A person who their spouse has committed fornication, and that means illicit sexual intercourse with someone, obviously not your husband or your wife, right? And so uh, the New King James says uh, sexual immorality. Is sexual immorality always fornication? Fornication is sexual immorality, Right? But so are a whole lot of other things that's not fornication. It's kind of like Levites and priests. All priests are Levites. But are all Levites priests? Of course not. Okay? So that's an issue in the King, in the New King James. I feel like if they took care of that, that may be the best, uh, uh, version out there. Okay? But the King James has some problems. Uh, Preston and I were talking about that the other day, the, the insertion of the word Easter. Why in the world was that in there? That doesn't belong in there. Should be Passover, right? There was no Easter when uh, uh, during Paul's day or Christ's day. There was no Easter. Passover, right? Passover. Uh, you know, and, and then of course the 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 some of the the words they use uh, kind of archaic. That doesn't necessarily bother me, but there's some issues when you hear the word prevent. What do you think of stopping somebody? That's not what it means in the King James Version of the Bible. It means to go ahead of. You pre, before, go ahead of, prevent. That's what it means, okay? So, but I think we can overcome that. I think we're not going to lose our souls uh, by using the King James Version of the Bible. But we do need to be careful on what we read publicly. Uh, If someone was going to read Romans, Romans uh, 10, 9, and 10 uh you can't use any of the modern translations other than the new king james version if you're going to read it publicly because they all miss it they all miss it and it's a faith only what the, what the what that translation teaches so we can't read that publicly do i read it? Pri- I, I read all of them but i know what i know what to use when i'm teaching someone okay Brother joe conversation yeah your lifestyle how you live right uh so uh uh, you know conversation we talk about conversation we're talking about having a talk with someone we're communicating right well what does the faithful wife peter say she can uh convert her non-believing husband by her chaste conversation not not by her polite discussion she has with him by her godly lifestyle and so you know th- th- there are some things but you know and we point that out because they used this against John Smith and I know brethren I went to a school that said uh you can use the king james version or the american standard 190 is it 1901 well i don't care at all for the american standard 1901 version it's difficult to read uh Someone said it was the, the the best, the closest to the Greek, and it may very well be, but it's very it, you know it's very short on the English, and so you know I speak English. Uh, they wouldn't let us use the huh? Yeah, they wouldn't let us use the New King James Version. I like that version, but I know that when it says sexual uh, uh, immorality, that almost a hundred percent of the time it needs to say fornication. Okay, and if you know that. Well, you can you know, uh make the correct adjustments. Any comments? <coughs> well, yeah, but but you know, even at that, we need to study ourselves from the closest that we can find, you know? We want to know exactly. I don't need someone to explain to me. I just, just tell me, just write down what it said and I figure it out. That's what our whole thing is studying this, aren't we? They figured it out because they had the, had the best, closest to the original they could get. We don't have a perfect version, but we need the closest we can get. And that doesn't mean we can't read some of these other, I mean, I, as, I collect versions of the Bible just as a hobby. Okay. I've got some, crazy versions of the bible you know have you ever heard of the cotton patch i've i've got a cotton patch new testament what the all that they've got of it it i debated on whether they even to buy that thing or not because uh you know i thought Man, i don't know if it's right for me to even purchase this but what they do they place paul and some of the other people in in alabama doing their work in Alabama. It was. The purpose was so Southern folks could understand it, like we're stupid, you know. Uh Joseph and Mary, instead of going off to Egypt when Herod was murdering uh, the the males two years uh, old and down, they went. They went into Florida, out of Georgia, you know. And so I, I, I kind of was at a crossroads. I said, Boy, I don't know if I'll even buy that. I'm not buying it to study out of. But I did want to know exactly what all it said. And just as a pastime, I collect versions of the Bible. Maybe I shouldn't have bought it. I don't know. But anyway, I've got a copy if you'd like to look at it. <clears throat> but, uh, you know, the thing is, they're telling Raccoon John Smith, you can't, you gotta use the King James version of the Bible. Now, I don't know what all was around at that time. You know, some of the older ones that, from which the King James came from. But when someone says the King James 1611, I use that. You can't even read that document. You can't even read it because none of the letters look like what we use. It's written in Old English. None of us have a, I mean, we might own one, but none of us use a King James 1611. You can't even read it. And so there's been a lot of changes over the years to different things. But we need to use good sense that uh, use the brain God gave us and understand what He wants us to do. And, uh, we want to stick as close as we can. So I don't think they had a point because I think probably, uh, in a lot of ways, uh, Campbell's version was better. Uh, but, you know, they didn't like him using it. Any other comments, questions? Okay. We're going to, uh, uh, pick up with John Smith on his return home from this, uh, castigating that he received from the association and some things are about to change in his life uh, that are going to make a huge impact on Christianity in the United States. Thank you so much.